Our main speaker for the conference this year is Paul Clark. Uh, Paul Clark, okay, this is what I've been saying to Midtown Baptists for about the last five or six years. When we grow up, we want to be like, um, and I always butcher the name of the church, uh, the Bible says, La Biblia Dice, right? Did I get that right? Okay, man, it's a miracle. I always blow the name. But that, I mean, this is, the, the, the mother church there in Bogota, Colombia, is a model church, not just for Colombia, not just for Latin America. Brothers and sisters, this is a model church for us. Out of one church that got started through discipleship, starting Bible studies, uh, a, a church has planted over 30 churches throughout Colombia, and now these churches are sending missionaries into the neighboring countries all through a biblical philosophy of discipleship. Brothers and sisters, when we grow up, we want to be churches like the churches in Columbia. Does that make sense? Um, can we just welcome Paul Clark to come and preach the word of God to us? Brothers and sisters, receive him, be full of faith. God is going to use him to speak to your heart. Welcome, Paul. After that, goodness, thanks, Sam. Thanks for the uh, invitation, the opportunity that I have to, to be with you this week. Uh, it really is an honor. And when I see this, um, I'm reminded of uh, Bogota, uh, quite honestly. Uh, the Missions Conference uh, is every October of every year, and uh, it's like this. Uh, most North Americans don't sit that close together like you guys do, you've got Latin blood in you or something, because I think our auditorium seats around 700, and we had 1,500 at our missions conference uh, in October, just a few months ago. And uh, people getting there to, uh, at 2 o'clock for the service at 7 to get a seat. Uh, but, you know, hey, this is so cool. This is, this is a, a work of God. And I, I thank God for you guys. Uh, you've taken us in. I've told you this many times. Our family, you've taken us in. You've been through so many different things with us as a family. Uh, the good times, the tough times. Uh, you've loved on us. Uh, you've prayed for us faithfully. Uh, now you are supporting us as missionaries. And I hope not to butcher this this week so you'll cancel that. Uh, so there, there's no pressure. There's no pressure when he talks about, hey, this is what we want to be when we grow up. Thanks for doing that for me, man. Uh, I feel a little bit like Chris Miller tonight, uh, because why does people laugh when I mention his name? That is my son-in-law, okay? Pray for me. But, you know, the first time Chris ever spoke, um, it was in Bogota. We had a conference with some pastors from the States and other countries, and, and, um, and in the mornings we had a devotion, and, and so I asked Chris to give a devotion that morning. And uh, like I said, this is years ago, and, and Chris had never done that before, but you know, he's my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, I'm son-in-law, and so I, I felt like kind of had to involve him. Uh, and so I stuck him in there, and, and so, you know, he was getting ready for it, and, and the morning before he left to go to the church, uh, he kind of shared a little bit of what he was gonna uh, say to the, the pastors and the missionaries. And I was fine with it, and, and, you know, didn't give me much, but I thought it would be okay. And so when we got there, and I said, okay, Chris, it's, it's time for you to come and just share something from the Word with us. And so he got up there and, and op opened up the Bible, and, uh, and he uh, read the text, and then looked up and saw these pastors and missionaries and realized he probably shouldn't be doing this because he's not, you know, he didn't feel equipped to do that, or he, he was scared to death, he was frightened. And so his, he made some statement about the verse that he read that didn't have anything to do with the verse. And then he looked at the pastors and he said, well, that's all I got, that's about it. <laughs> there were even some pastors, they had their pen out to take notes. They just dropped it. I love you, Chris. what God has done in his life throughout the years, and God's used Sam and, and you guys uh, also in his life so much. 
Uh, now I think as much as around 15 minutes, something, yeah, not, that, was, that was a minute and a half, but I think he's now to 15 minutes, so he's, he's doing well, just teasing. Well, you know, there's so many things that we live as missionaries as we go through the whole uh, missionary experience. We, uh, once we were called, years ago, at least what we used to do was to go on deputation and raise our support, and I, I think some still do it that way. Some churches perhaps support their missionaries completely. They don't go through deputation, whatever. But in those days, most of us did that. And uh, of course, my, my kids are very small, Jeremy, Jennifer, and Emily, they were tiny, and, and we got a motorhome. That's what many, many missionaries did, and we, we lived in that motorhome and went from church to church. And, um, and I'm just going to, each time I'm going to share you a, a missionary experience. And most of them are crazy things and that, you know, perhaps funny things that happen to us. Um, but these are for real. I'm not making this up. And uh, throughout my lifetime, crazy things have happened to me. That is true also with Brian Clark, by the way. He's not normal. You guys know that. And so, you know, and so anyway, uh, we got the motor home and we're going from church to church. And uh, on one of our trips, we stopped at a campground, and uh, my wife, Joanne, said, uh, honey, I, it's smelling in here. It doesn't smell very good in here. I think that the, the, the sewer, you know, the, the, it's plugged up. Now, I'm not a fix-it man. I don't fix anything, Sam. In fact, you don't want to give me a tool. I will destroy things with that. But, but, you know, I'm the man of the house. I got to take care of this. And so I went outside and I looked for a stick. I looked for a stick. And, uh, and I was going to unplug this thing from the outside. You know, there's a, there's a, a what do you call that? It's a, a tube or whatever it is, uh, the sewage, whatever it is. And that's where that stuff comes out. And so I find a long stip, stick. It was pretty, pretty sturdy and somewhat flexible. And I'm I'm giving it, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to unplug this and prove that I am the man of the house, and so I'm, I'm sticking it in there, and then I would look, and then to see if, you know, and so I kept giving it, and then I looked down, and all of a sudden it broke loose, and my reaction was, God is witness. I've got toilet paper in my hair. It's in my mouth. It's in my eyebrows. And I didn't realize that Joanne was watching this whole thing at the window there. And then when I went around to the other side to go in and take a shower and, you know, get some Listerine or whatever, uh, she stuck through the door, there was a screen and, and an opening, and she stuck some soap and a, and a towel, and she said, go look for showers, you're not coming in here. So now I'm walking through the campground area, and I don't know where the showers are, and there's people in their lawn chairs in front of their, their motor homes, and I'm going up to them. Now I don't want to talk because I don't want my lips to get together. So I'm just saying to them, shower, shower, bathroom. And they're, I got flies, okay? Oh my goodness. And so I finally fi find the, the shower area and I shower and clean up and get back home. And um, I, don't know if, I don't know if this is being translated. Is this being translated or not? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Nidia's never heard this. So she, uh, the, the kissing's over. It's, 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 it's gone after she hears this tonight. But anyway, that, that's a true story. That's a true story. That uh, really did happen to us. And uh, I'll be sharing each night something that took place in our lives along the way, uh, some humorous stuff. But anyway... It is good to be here, and, um, and we're going to be talking uh, tonight, quite honestly, a lot about starting ministries, and we're going to be talking about uh, beginning a, a church and, and how that uh, God has, has, has taught us how to do that. And so uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to begin tonight, and if you want to take notes, you can. 
we will try, we will attempt uh, to go through this very clearly. Uh, a lot of it's going to be some teaching. At the same time, we want to challenge you with the Word of God, with God, what God has given to me. Uh, but I do, uh, I do ask your prayers as we get into this and, uh, and ask God to, to use us. And we'll be praying here in just one second. We are going to be talking in these three evenings about getting from our Jerusalem to the end of the world. And that will be based upon Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Getting the gospel from our Jerusalem to the end of the world. Now we're here this week <clears throat> to talk about missions. We're here this week to teach missions. And with the Lord's help, that's what I intend to do. And I want us to pray and precisely ask for God's help. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me, and we're going to ask for His help. Lord, we thank you for what you have for us tonight in your word. We thank you, Lord, for this conference, for putting it together, for bringing each one that you brought here. And Lord, we know that you've brought us here for a specific purpose, and that purpose has to do with others. And I just pray that through your word, we will be concerned about others. We will be seeing the need that exists in the lives of others. And Lord, that I, I just pray that you will give us that 2020 vision, uh, your vision, seeing a lost world. And Lord, we, we, we can't do this in the flesh, nor are we to do this in the flesh. Uh, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us to teach your word and even to receive your word and live it. And that's what we're asking tonight of you. Thank you, Lord, for being so faithful to us in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, I, there, there's many questions that we can ask ourselves as church leaders and congregations, but I'm convinced that two of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is, where are we going? As believers, as a church congregation, where are we going? And the next question is, how are we go going to get there? I think when we had breakfast, Sam, uh, not too long ago, we talked about this. What direction are we going as a church congregation? Uh, what are we wanting to accomplish? Why are we here? What is the reason for our existence? And the second thing is, where, how are we going to get there? How are we going to accomplish this? In fact, our response to these two questions confirm whether we are or will be a missionary church or not. Now, we in Columbia, years ago, have responded to these two questions. And our response to the first question is the nations, the nations of the world. And I'm thinking of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when Christ used that word, nations, referring not to countries, but to the over 17,000 ethnic groups that exist today in the world. So it's not speaking of geography, but peoples. And that's our response. That's the direction we're going in our ministry, and the Bible says of Columbia. We've answered that question. And our second response, the, the response to the second question, would be to inject the Word of God in the lives of the believers. And we do that through expository preaching, giving the entire counsel of God, uh, the whole counsel of God, to our, our, our believers and our churches and our congregations. And, and that's, of course, giving them the Bible, book by book, phrase by phrase, and word by word. We also do this through biblical discipleship. And I make sure I add the word biblical because a lot of discipleship is a program, and it's basically just Bible courses where people obtain knowledge. But when I speak of biblical discipleship, I'm speaking of spiritual truth and life being transmitted from one heart to another. So that's our response to these two questions. And this, our response is based upon what we find in the four Gospels, where we find the Great Commission in those Gospels, and also the book of Acts. I believe that God has given us the book of Acts as our missionary manual. And I'm convinced that any Bible student, any good student of the Word of God, 
that takes that book, studies that book, will come to the same two conclusions. Because God in His Word has made it very clear as to where we should be going as believers, as church congregations, and how to get there. Now, there's many texts in the book of Acts that speak of this, many portions. We will be basing what we were teaching and preaching, seeing together this week in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And I believe it is there in the most explicit way where we should be going and how we should be getting there. And my prayer tonight and this week is that we will allow God to speak to our hearts and that we will be willing to align our lives and ministries to whatever He shows us in His Word. That's my prayer. Uh, maybe we are, we are living out some of the things that we're going to be seeing in His Word. And that's only a confirmation that, that we are in His will and we are aligned with that will and His Word. But this is a time that we need to ask God to teach us and to show us whatever He has for us and be willing to allow, align our lives and our ministries to whatever He shows us. Now, Sam has requested uh, that, I, that I speak something of what God has done in Colombia and how He's done it. And He's my boss in these, these days, and that's what I will do. Uh, but I don't want you to take that wrong. Uh, we're, we're not here to talk about ourselves or or what we've done, we know that in the end it's, it's what He has done. And I want to make sure that that's clear. Um, God has done an incredible thing in, in our country, incredible work. And it's, it's so incredible that no man could ever take credit for it. It would be stupid to try to do that. But, but I do want to say that we are learners. We, uh, our heart, our spirit in our ministry is to be learners. My father always said, you know, a disciple of Jesus Christ is a student that's always learning. And that's our spirit. And, and God is, is teaching us day by day what he wants us to do in that country. And we're constantly aligning our lives and our ministry to what he shows us in his word. Now, I want us to read the text, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and verses 1 through 8. For Luke says, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passions by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye heard of, of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The very first thing that we want to see tonight is the preparation. There's three things that we're going to be seeing tonight, tomorrow, and Friday night. Tonight, the preparation that Christ gave to these apostles to fulfill the mission. And then tomorrow night, we'll be looking at the power that he promised to them to make sure that they could fulfill with that mission. And then the third thing is a plan. Friday night, we'll be talking about that the last part of verse 8, speaking of the plan to get to the end of the world. But here we're going to see tonight the preparation. Christ, first of all, showed his disciples, those apostles, those 12 men, how to minister with his own life example. But we know that the verse says here, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, 
of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The former treatise, of course, is speaking of the book of Luke, uh, the gospel. Luke is the author of the gospel that he wrote and also the book of Acts. In Luke, we see Christ beginning his ministry with the apostles observing him as he did so. In the book of Acts, we see Christ continuing his ministry through the lives of those apostles and, of course, in time, the primitive church. So I guess we could say that we see Christ ministering in his physical body in, in the gospel of Luke, and then we see Christ continuing his ministry in the, through the lives of the apostles uh, through, through that spiritual body, the church. Well, what we want to see now is that part of Christ's preparation of the twelve was him showing them how to minister with his life example. That's what Luke wrote about, and that's what the other gospels, that's what we find in the other gospels. And he showed them that ministry involves basically two things. Notice what the verse says. Verse 1, it says, all of that Jesus began both to do and teach. Jesus began the ministry, doing and teaching. Now this is how he started his ministry. And, and we see this, an illustration of this time and time again uh, throughout the Gospels, throughout the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, and verses 30 and 31. Here we see Christ doing th these two things, doing and teaching. Luke chapter 5 and verse 30, where the Bible teaches us, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. First of all, Christ sits with the publicans and the sinners, and then he teaches why he did so. Uh, of course, we understand as he, he gives the teaching that he came precisely for the sick. And the sick represents the sinners. Those are the ones that need, needed the healing. They needed to get well. The Pharisee thought he was already okay. He was righteous. He didn't understand that he was sick also. And he needed the Savior. He needed that physician in his life. But the point is, Jesus did. He sat with the sinners. And then he taught why he did so. Keep in mind, the apostles are, are observing this all along the way. Now, we know that Jesus Christ was the master teacher. He was the teacher of all teachers. And his strategy and ministry was very, very simple. This is all he did. He just lived the truth. In many cases, in his case, uh, he lived out the prophecy that had been given about him. But he lived the truth, and then he taught and explained what he had just lived. Now... His strategy didn't involve money, it didn't involve buildings, it didn't involve promotions. He just simply lived the truth and then he taught it. Sometimes, as we're in different churches, uh, this is what, you know, I've lived throughout the years, some new missionaries that are about to go to the field, they'll come to me and say, hey, Paul, you, you've been on the field a while, just, just uh, you know, guide me a little bit, what do I need as a missionary, what do I need to begin our ministry in a certain part of the world? And I think I mentioned this three years ago when I was here with Rudy. And my response is, you need a Bible. You need a Bible. And you need to get in that book, and you need to live that book, and you need to teach that book. And most of the time, they respond by saying, well, I know that, okay? I, I got that, but I, I really, what, what do I need? And I respond by saying, no, that's what you really do need. Now, this is a stretch for many because throughout the years, we've complicated what started out being very simple. We are bombarded with the new, the new strategies, the new methodologies, methodologies, the new ideas, things that have only complicated ministry, and in many cases, stalled it out. You know, the newer is not necessarily better, and much less when it replaces the old. 
Now, by God's grace, and I emphasize this, in the Bible says of Columbia, we've decided to stay with the old. Uh, we're, not, we're not into the new. We're just doing those two same things that Christ did. That's how we start churches. It's very, very simple. And many of you know, you've heard the story, but we start churches in, in actually in, in homes. We start with unsaved people that don't know the gospel. Um, and and we, we go into their homes if they're willing to study the Bible with us. And, uh, and we teach them of the gospel uh, through Bible studies that we developed. And, and, and then they understand the gospel. And of course, our context normally is Catholic. They, they, they understand the gospel for the first time in their life. Uh, and, and, and some believe the gospel and they receive Christ as Savior. And, 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 and basically, that's how we start churches. We don't start churches by looking for a building. We, do, we don't advertise. Uh, we don't even invest money uh, in, in that, uh, that ministry, that new ministry. The only money that is involved is that of getting the missionary or those believers to that location so they can live and teach the Word of God. That, that's, that's how we start churches. And we have learned over the years that the Word of God has the power to save, to transform, and even to form His church by doing these two things. Christ taught them that ministry involved two things and both, that both are necessary. We shouldn't overlook the word both in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 because it's there in the Word of God for a reason. It's not talking about just one thing, but two. And both are necessary. And those two things are what we see in the life of Jesus Christ. That's why he had such an impact. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 2. In Mark chapter 6 verse 2, let's begin in verse 1. Here we see Jesus Christ in his own country. In Nazareth, and it says, and he went out from hence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. They're observing him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach, notice, in the synagogues, and many hearing him were astounded, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? They were astounded, those of his own country, of his own people, of Nazareth, because they saw his mighty works, his mighty deeds, and they were astounded by the wisdom that came out of his mouth when he taught. That's why he had such a great impact. And if we're going to have an impact for him in our lives, those are the two things we need to do. Now, Christ emphasized this time and time again to his disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, in the Sermon of the Mount, notice what it says, Whatsoever therefore shall break one of these, one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach, there it is, do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He is saying, hey, these two things, doing this, these two things will, will make you be called great. You will be honored in the kingdom of heaven. Well, you know what? The order of the two is very important. Notice the order. To do and to teach. To live the word so that we can teach it with power and authority. Living the Word gives us the authority to speak the Word. For years I've told our, our Colombian believers, you know, our transformed life in Jesus Christ is that platform from, from which we speak about Him. That, that's, that's what we preach from, is, is our life. That's, that's why we pro can proclaim Him with authority. And you know, this is why a lot of Christians really don't, testify of the Lord Jesus Christ because they don't live Christ. They're not living His Word. This is why some believers, in fact, 
uh, that have the gift of teaching uh, and are, are, you know, have great knowledge of the Word of God are not able to disciple another believer. It's because they're not living what they know. This is why some pastors and missionaries that are preaching today in churches all throughout the world should probably not be preaching because their, 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 their message, their life does not match their message. They don't have that credibility. They don't have the authority to do so. You see, for God to use us, we must do both. And get, oh, how God wants to use us. How God wants to use you. But there needs to be obedience in your life. What we miss out on in our lives, because we're just not simply willing to obey what he teaches us in his word. We don't get even the simplest of the word of God. We're talking about something very basic and simple. And you say, well, I'm not a minister. I'm not, I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. This is how we all minister on the job. This is how we all minister, um, you know, uh, in the school, wherever God has placed us, with our family members, with our friends. This is how we minister to them, is to do and then teach. Well, both are necessary, but the first is essential so we can do the second. You know, uh, this strategy will work in any culture throughout the world. And I emphasize this because so often... You know, there's so many complex cultures today. The world is complex. The circumstances that, that we're, we're facing in the world uh, are so beyond. And, and, and so with these extreme situations, sometimes I, I see Christian organization, institutions, movements, how they're, they're strategizing and trying to, 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 to understand how to penetrate a certain society and culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Christ just simply says, hey, just go there and live my word and teach it. In fact, there's no other strategy that Christ gives to us in his word. This is, this is it. And that implies that he intends for us to do and teach his word in every nation of the world with every generation. It will work. Well, so Christ shows the 12 how to minister, and he prepares them for that future ministry. He shows them, but he also teaches them. Notice what verse 2 says, Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, because it says, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles, which he had chosen. He not only showed them how to minister, he also taught them. He prepared them to minister. And remember, they're going to continue the ministry of Christ after his ascension. Well, the verse says that he chose 12. The last part of verse 2, it says, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He chose these 12 men. He chose a few men. These were not self-appointed men. They didn't necessarily volunteer, but he chose them. And he chose them on the basis of their willingness to forsake all and follow him, to be true disciples of him. And according to what we're reading, we find that he did this until he was taken up. That's approximately three years that he spent investing his life in their life. There were times he spent, you know, he spent time with the multitude. That's uh, in Matthew chapter 13, 30, verse 36. But notice, notice what he did with the multitude. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And, and then he explained it to them. He spent time with the multitude, but he spent most of the time, his time, with the twelve, and he taught them things that he didn't teach anybody else. Because he understood that the future church, that first church in Jerusalem, was to be built upon their lives and their doctrine. And by the way, there was no plan B. There was no plan B. This was the plan. Christ was counting on these 12 men to continue his ministry 
after he was gone from this world. And you know what worked? God used these 12 men to build that first church in Jerusalem and to see the gospel, gospel extended out from there. Now, what I want us to get from this is this is how strong churches are formed. This is how missionary churches are formed. And I know that what we're going to see now, what we're seeing in the Scripture is not necessarily the typical mentality that, that we see today. And, and it's not the typical thinking of both pastors and missionaries because many times we think, hey, the more the merrier. If we can just get a bunch of people congregated, if we can get us a building and, and, and fill it up, then, then, then we'll, we'll do well. And that's normally the mentality of most church leaders, the more the merrier. But Christ is teaching us just the opposite. Now, don't misunderstand me. Christ's vision was always to get to the multitudes, the nations of the world. But to get there, he started with a few. You know, by God's grace, once again, he helped me to understand this from the very beginning in our ministry in Columbia. And, and that's why we basically didn't start with buildings. And I wasn't looking for a lot of people, quite honestly. I prayed for a few faithful believers. That's what we prayed for. Those that accepted Christ in those home Bible studies, some of them were baptized. Then we began to disciple those individuals that were baptized. And, and, uh, and what we were always looking for them in their lives was that willingness to forsake all and follow Christ, that genuine desire to follow Him. And when we saw that, and they, they confirmed that with their, their doing, uh, we began to invest our lives in a faith, those faithful few. And then the church was reproduced out from there. Now we did that because we saw it in the scripture, but we also did it because we understood that if we started out with, with non-committed Christians, weak Christians, that's what was going to be reproduced out from there. But if we would start with strong Christians and have that solid foundation of strong Christians, that also is what would be reproduced out from there. And that's what God did. That's what he has done. And, and you know, when, when sometimes when people, you know, come to me and they say, hey, man, we've heard about what God's done in Columbia. How does, how does that happen? I'm a little bit, it's like, you know, it's so simple, I, I don't even, you know, I don't mean to say I'm embarrassed, but it's like, wow, it's really not rocket science. This is very, very simple. That's how we've done it, just living and teaching with a few, with a few. And the Bible says of Columbia is becoming a missionary force to get the gospel to the nations today as a result by just starting with a few. That's what God does. I guess we could say the missionary success of a church depends upon the way that it begins. That's what Jesus Christ is teaching us. He also, you know, he, he instructed them. He chose a few men, but he didn't just choose them and say, hey, you're going to be the ones, but he prepared them by teaching them. And that's in verse 2, because it says, until the day in which he was taken up, taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Commandments, this speaks of charging them, giving them these commandments, is speaking of him charging them, giving them orders, instructing them. And once again, he spent three years precisely doing that. It's instructing them, giving them all they needed to live their new life in him and also to fulfill the mission that he's later going to give them in verse 8. So he didn't just show them, but he also taught them. And it worked because God used them to get the gospel throughout the world. Now, this is the second part of what we saw in the introduction. That second question, how are we going to get there? According to the Word of God, it's by teaching. It's by injecting the Word of God in the lives of the believers. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 28. There's something here that I think is very important so that we'll understand what Christ is really asking us to do. When we speak of teaching, because Christ modeled this for them, and then he asked them to do it, and he's asking us to do the very same thing. Notice what he's asking us to do. 
In verse 19, in fact, I think it's here. It is. Here it is. I'll read verse 19. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then verse 20, it's here. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Really important here. The second part is the, the teaching. Injecting the Word of God in the lives of those that have received Him as their Savior. That's teaching all nations. That really is speaking of making disciples of all nations. In the Spanish language, that's how it's said. And those that truly are saved are baptized. You don't find an example of believers that rejected baptism in the New Testament. If you are saved in Christ, you will publicize it. You will announce it. And then it says we're to teach them, but notice what it says, to observe all things. The word observe has to do with keeping, holding fast. It speaks of doing. Once again, there it is. Doing. Now, it says teaching them to observe. Teaching them to do. To keep. To hold fast to. Why is this so important? Because when we disciple, what we are doing is we're defining who is willing to observe. It's not just teaching. The final goal of discipleship is not knowing, but it's, it's going. And we need to get this because this is the crux of, of our discipleship ministry. Hopefully our discipleship ministry is the heart of our ministry. This is what we do. It's not one of the things we do. This is what we do. This is what makes everything else happen. This is how we become a missionary church. This is how we get to the nations. But it says, teaching them to observe. Now, everyone's not going to observe, and we can't force people to observe. You can't make people obey the Word of God. That's between them and God. You pray for them, you encourage them, and you teach them. But there's a point in time. They have to make that decision if they're going to be obedient to this book or not. But the point and the issue is, it's with them that we're going to get to the nations. If though, it's, it's, it's with those that observe, that keep, that hold fast to, that make this book the new normal in their life. It is their authority, it's their guide, they live by it. These are the ones that we're going to get to the nations with. We'll never get to the nations with unfaithful men. Not going to do it. So biblical discipleship, if it's biblical, we're trying to figure out who's, who's going to be a part of the missionary team, who's going to observe. Because if they'll do it, if they'll live it, then they can help us teach it. Then they can help us proclaim the message. Then they can talk about Christ. Then they can teach about him. Not before. You know, Paul said very clearly to Timothy this very same thing. He said, in the things that thou hast heard of, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, which shall be able to teach others also. This faithfulness, in all practicality, it's, it's not just having someone show up to the discipleship class or show up to church. It's being faithful and observing. It's being faithful and observing. See, this is what makes the difference in getting to the end of the block or the end of the world. We are forming a missionary team of soldiers of Jesus Christ so that we can get to the nations. Who wants to participate? We also see that Christ focuses these 12 men. That's what the scripture shows us in Acts chapter 1. And verse 3, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, where he says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking 
of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, these are the last 40 days of his life upon this earth, from the time of his crucifixion to his ascension. I think we could compare what he's doing here with these 12 to your Bible Institute, to our leadership, leadership school in Columbia. It's those final touches in the lives of, of the believers so that they will be effective ministers for the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in those 40 days, he focuses them on two things, and that is the message and the ministry. And that is the most important thing that he wanted them to, to get before he left this earth, before he ascended. Now, the message. He focused them on the message. The message that they were to preach. And I say that because the text tells us that for 40 days he manifested himself to these 12 men. Proving that he had resurrection. He was the risen Christ. I want us to look in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And verse 45. In Luke chapter 24. And let's begin with verse 45. We know that they doubted. The apostles doubted that he had resurrected. And in this text, you can read it later, but in this chapter, he, he manifests himself to them and, and he asked them to touch him and his feet and his hands and, and even asked them for some food. He ate and he told them, he says, you know, if you touch me, you, you know, spirit, they thought it was a spirit, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, it's me, I'm the risen Christ. And in many ways for 40 days, Many infallible proofs, he proved that he had risen from the dead. And then, then we see here in verse 45, it says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. He explained once again the prophecy that had been given about his resurrection. He went through that with them and he opened up their, their understanding. And it says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. You see, this was the message that they were going to preach. This was the message that they had to preach. If there was no resurrection, there was no message, at least a message that had power, that had life. Remember uh, what we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. It was vital that they knew that Christ not only died, but he had rose from the death. That is the gospel that they were to preach. That was their message. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter, the, the, the very first message that he preached on the day of Pentecost, it was full of Christ resurrected, which we are witnesses of. And this is so important because the salvation of the nations of the world depended and depends upon this message. We must focus our disciples on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has to do with his death, burial, and resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, precisely. You know, our context in Colombia, our religious context, is probably 85 to 90% of the Colombian people claim to be Catholic. They profess Catholicism. And I don't want to offend anyone that might be here that is Catholic. Um, I don't want to offend you by what I'm going to say, but the Catholic Church in Colombia has not presented a clear gospel message to the Colombian people. They don't understand why Christ died and why Christ has rose from the dead. 
That is never explained to them. They, they, they believe that they have to work to get their way to heaven. They don't understand that that redemptive work was sufficient and, and is sufficient and is complete. And that's what saves them. They are believing that if they'll do well and, and do good works and help others and, and do what the church asks them to do, they may get to heaven. They've not heard the gospel, a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've not heard it. They don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we have all kinds of churches popping up throughout the country that are evangelical. And you say, that's fantastic, Paul. Now the Colombian people, they're, they're going to be hearing a, a true gospel message. No, not really. The messages that they're preaching are about, they're preaching miracles, they're preaching blessings, they're preaching prosperity, they're preaching feeling good, having another cool experience as they go to church. I meet a lot of people as I travel throughout Colombia, and I meet some of these people who are attending these works, these churches, and in the conversation, I become aware of the fact they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be critical. I just want to make a point. Our message must be right. I understand we're living in, in the days of apostasy, and, 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 and I, I understand that, that according to... To, to biblical prophecy, we're going to be, this is, this is what we're going to be facing. Strain from the, 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 the truth of the Word of God, from the true gospel, preaching other gospels. I understand that that's where we're at. But that should only make us commit more to the message than ever before. You see, it's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission without a true and complete gospel message. Remember what we saw in Matthew chapter 28? It speaks of teaching all nations, that is, making disciples of all nations. How do we make disciples? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You, you can't get saved without knowing the gospel, understanding that Christ died for you, for your sins to forgive you your sins, to, to cleanse your heart. You can't be saved without understanding that He rose again the third day to, to give you new life and eternal life, to transform your life. There is no salvation without the gospel. So you can't become a disciple of Jesus Christ without knowing Christ personally. Nor can you be baptized to announce the work of the redemptive work that has taken place in your, your life upon being saved, the day of your salvation, if it hasn't happened. You can't observe the things that are taught to you in the Word of God, nor will you have a desire to do so without Him in your life. We can't even fulfill the Great Commission without the Gospel, a true Gospel. It's impossible. Well, he was focusing his disciples, these apostles, on the message. He proved that he had risen because that's what they were going to be witnesses of. That's what they were going to preach and also concerning their mission. And I say that because notice what it says. Going back to our text, it says in verse 3, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Forty days with infallible proofs, he was the true Savior, he fulfilled prophecy, he lived, and 40 days talking about why he rose from the dead, speaking of the kingdom of God. This, of course, is a spiritual kingdom. The, spiritual, the, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom for, because Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 and many other texts, of course, speak of this. But this text says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a spiritual kingdom. And this is the king, kingdom that Jesus Christ preached all throughout his ministry, Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, and he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. This is why he came to the earth, was to preach 
about that kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. But notice what the apostles say in verses 6 and 7. After Jesus Christ trying to focus them, talking to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God, notice what they say. It says in verse 6, And when therefore were come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times for, or the seasons which the Father hath put in, in his power, but ye shall receive the power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're not going to receive the kingdom of Israel, to Israel, but you're going to receive the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you're going to need to accomplish this mission. We'll talk about that tomorrow night. But the point is, and they're focused upon their kingdom, their political kingdom. They're, they're concerned about their political power. They weren't getting it. Now, Christ, with all of his love and patience with them, didn't scold them. I don't know what I would have done after all that time, you know, them observing me, preaching about the kingdom of God. And in these 40 days at that, you know, their school, last schooling, uh, you know, he, he teaches them about the kingdom of God once again, insisting this is the message and this is the mission. And then they began to talk to him about the kingdom to Israel. Well, Jesus responds by saying, you know, the focus is not the kingdom to Israel right now. He spoke to them about that in Matthew chapter 25. He, he, he guaranteed, confirmed that that was going to happen someday. But he was saying to them, no, the, the focus is not just to the Jews right now. The focus is the souls of men. Jews and Gentiles. That's the mission at hand. It's, that's the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom. I guess, you know, the practical part of this for us is the being focused part because the greatest challenge, at least one of the greatest challenges that we have as pastors and missionaries ourselves is to stay focused. And we get so busy doing the ministry that we lose focus. <laughs> I don't know about you pastors and missionaries, but every day that I get up in the morning, I'm usually off focus. I'm not focused. Not on the kingdom of God. I'm usually thinking of coffee. <laughs> and I'm already thinking of what I've got to do that day. My thanks. And usually I'm thinking of my stuff. And what really helps me, I don't know about you, but when I spend time in the Word of God, Amen. God begins to focus me Amen. on His kingdom. The souls of men of every nation. That protects me. That keeps me from getting unfocused. And His Holy Spirit, by His grace, bringing me back to, to where I need to be. Us staying focused and keeping our disciples focused. I'm not lying. I, I probably would not have had the patience that Christ had with his, his, these apostles when they began to talk about the kingdom to Israel. But he had it. And you know what? We see the Lord Jesus Christ with that patience all throughout scriptures. We, we see, look at John chapter 4. Look at John chapter 4 with me. This has to do with our eyes and what we're seeing. Notice what John chapter 4 says. You know the story of the Samaritan woman uh, believing and, and, and accepting the Lord and believing in Him and, and her salvation. And then she goes, she goes to her city and, and gives testimony as, that she had seen the Savior and what had happened to her. And then notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples in verse 34. John chapter 4 and verse 34, he says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. 
Remember, the disciples had gone to look for something to eat, and they were concerned about him getting something to eat. But he says, my meat, you know, my passion is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest, because I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for, the, for they are white already to harvest. What he's saying to them is, hey, it's not going to be four months. The Samaritans are already coming. The, the harvest, you know, it's not going to be in four months. It's, it's now. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields because they're, they're on their way. You see, we lift up our eyes through the Word of God. We lift our disciples' eyes up through preaching the Word of God and through biblical discipleship. That's how their eyes are lifted up. So they're not thinking about themselves, but they're thinking about others. This is not about you and I, what we're doing here. I mean, we want to be edified. We want to be encouraged. We want to be challenged. But in the end, everything that, that we're doing as a church, in the end, is about others. And we must lift our eyes. Jesus was saying to them, get your eyes off of you. Get them on the souls of men. The Samaritans are on their way. It's not about us. It's about others. That 2020 vision to see clearly what Jesus Christ sees. That's the challenge of our ministries, to focus our believers on the field, on the lost people of every nation of the world. You know, I like Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we'll close with this. You know, when we disciple people, we disciple them with the intention of their lives being conformed to the image of the Son of God. But notice what we find here in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, where it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Notice his vision. He saw the multitudes. But he didn't just see them, he had compassion on them. He cared. And that's what discipleship does in our lives. It helps us with that 2020 spiritual vision to see what he's seen, the multitudes. And we care. And we care. We have compassion for those lost individuals. We see and we care. One of my, let's say, jobs in Colombia, my responsibilities is to keep us focused. And what a job it is. And our people love the Lord, and our people are model believers in so many ways, even for me. But just as, hap just as happens in my life, the same happens in their life. Our tendency every morning that we get up is to, is to get off focus. And as I travel throughout the country, I'm preaching Columbia for Christ. And Columbia for Christ will find out, I think on Friday night, it doesn't just speak of Columbia, it speaks of the nations. But I'm preaching Columbia to, for Christ to them. And, and, and our pastors are doing the same thing. Our missionaries are doing the same thing. When we disciple people, we're talking about the nations. We're talking about getting to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about um, Columbia for Christ. Bringing us back to focus. We, hey, we don't talk about missions just, just at the missions conference. This, this is all year round because we lose focus. And we think this is about us. And sometimes, you know, there's so many distractions in the world. Ephesians 2 talks about this and, and how that this system of the world has us trapped and dictates to us what we got to buy and do and live. And, and, and we're distracted and we lose focus. But sometimes within our own church ministries, 
It's a distraction. We're so busy that our Christianity, the totality of our Christianity ends up just being what we do here. And we lose focus. We don't even know why we come to church anymore. We think it's for us to know, to know more. It's not about knowing. It's about knowing, but with the intention of going. It's not about us. It's about others. That's missions. That's the heart of God. This is the heart of God. You know, Christ didn't just commission the 12. We'll see that on Friday night, verse 8. But he also prepared them. And if we suggest that we're, we want to be a missionary church and we're going to go to the nations, that that's our, the, our direction, that's, that's, that's where we're going, we also must prepare our people. Showing them, teaching them, and focusing them. Now, where are we going? Where are you going as a believer? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? Father, we thank you for what you've taught us in your word tonight. We thank